Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's critical that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping to solve some of the most important conservation issues that we face today. For nearly a century, Rolex has backed explorers and innovators who strive to understand and protect our natural world. In this series, we'll dive into the stories of those people who are at the forefront of the quest to keep the planet perpetual. On this episode, I get to talk to Topher White, an engineer, physicist, and technologist who measures sound to help protect the rainforest from illegal logging. In 2019, Topher became a Rolex Awards for Enterprise Associate Laureate, and he's currently creating an audio database to further understand animal communication. Hey, Topher, great talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. It's really great to be here. Let's get into it. What do you do and, and how did you get into that? My organization, Rainforest Connection, which I founded about nine years ago, is largely focused on ways in which we can use technology and local partners on the ground to protect natural spaces and learn about them. We focus primarily on sound. How do we listen to the forest, listen to natural spaces under oceans, pick up the sounds of threats and uh, biodiversity, and then use that information to help local groups use our tools as well to show up and protect these areas. That's awesome. Like, how did you get into using sound to protect the rainforest? Well, it all started for me. I was working in physics and, and software engineering. I was actually working at a, a fusion laboratory in France at the time, but I went to, <laughs> I went to Indonesia. As, as one does. Oh, yeah. Yes, course, yeah. I went to Indonesia to volunteer at a gibbon reserve. And gibbons are these amazing uh, large apes. In many ways, they're kind of like the, the Alex Arnold of the, of the primate world. They just can move and swing like nothing else. And they can sing across large swaths of forest. I always loved them because they were the loudest animals at the zoo in San Francisco where I grew up. It's funny you mentioned the way the gibbons move because I actually recently read a, basically an article from a very high-end climbing coach mm -hmm. about what climbers can learn from gibbons about, about movement, about really? using, basically they, they flick their center of mass, like generating movement from the hips and it wow. all uh, sort of applies to high-end competition climbing. That but so it, it's a pretty interesting paper. It makes so much sense. I mean, the, the one sort of ape primate that I've, I've seen who can sort of change direction mid-swing. And so how did this love of gibbons, though, translate into rainforest conservation more generally? Well, it, for me, it just ended up being in the right place at the right time. I went out to this area where they were trying to protect gibbons. I was ostensibly volunteering, but that really just means I was a tourist. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> being out there, noticed that this one awesome organization was having a lot of problems with illegal logging on the outskirts. And uh, they had guards out there to sort of walk through the forest and catch um, people trying to get into their land to cut. But it's really hard to, to know what's happening, even on, on the other side of a hill, just a kilometer away. Can you paint a picture of what the rainforest is like? But when you're in the tropical forest, one of the things that really hits you is the cacophony of noise. It's just overwhelming. And it changes from moment to moment, hour to hour, at nighttime, daytime, sunrise, sunset. But throughout that time, you have this wide swath of biodiversity all competing for the sound space. And, you know, you can't, in terms of vision, you can't see more than 20 feet in front of you. The same is true for animals, because it's all just so, so thick with foliage. But sound really travels. And so you have these species that have evolved over millions of years to fill every gap in the soundscape. And so it just becomes this wall cacophony of complex, intricate noise. And within that is just so much insight. 
So I actually went on my first uh, expedition to to a rainforest last year for for a climbing trip in Guyana. It's the first time I've been in deep oh, deep such forest. A forest. Such a forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, we walked for uh, for something like a week to get to the wall. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I was struck by was that that claustrophobic feeling of just being in the forest. You know, like feeling like you're in a tunnel of trees for a week. You know, <laughs> not ever having a view. And I think having grown up in in the western U.S. and having spent a lot of time in in open pine forests, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sort of used to the forest being a sort of a wide open space. But you know, with rainforest and, and tropical forests, it's just so dense. I mean, I think when we're talking about about forest conservation, that's an important point because. You know, I mean, it just makes it so hard to to travel through those areas. It's like so hard to conserve a space if you can't even walk through it. Oh yeah, that's first of all, what a hike! That's that's an, that's an incredible expedition you must have gone on. But you're right. I mean, moving through these spaces, uh, especially the healthy ones, is really is really difficult. It doesn't make it practical for people who are trying to protect them to move that far, um, which is why the sort of ability to remotely monitor and protect places becomes important. And it took me some time to figure out that we were helping that overall thing, particularly because we spent a lot of time walking through the forest, like you said. But the, the other thing I want to mention on top of that is you say it's claustrophobic in terms of space, but you're also like existing in, in a pretty active ecosystem. Right? And so we think of a forest as being full of monkeys and, you know, big cats and, and pigs and other sorts of animals that are there. But I don't have to tell you that who, the ones who really rule the forest, the ones who are totally in charge are the insects, you know, and they, they just completely dominate everything. You were at their, at their mercy from dawn till dusk and beyond. Topher's use of old cell phones to monitor the sounds of the rainforest has opened up a new understanding of how to better protect it. And so more generally, why are the world's rainforests so important? Well, they're amazing hotbeds of, of biodiversity. So it's interesting to point out that, that tropical rainforests, if you think about it, particularly the Amazon, didn't really exist until the demise of the dinosaurs, the extinction of the dinosaurs. It was that impact of meteor at the end of it that led to the climactic changes that allowed tropical rainforests in their current state to, to take over. But in that time, they've become this, this incredible hotbed of biodiversity because they're so dynamic. It's, it's such an interesting environment that no animal can sort of exist in one state in for very long. And so they evolve uh, so quickly. They're also hard to get to and hard to exist in. Uh, the rainforest is a really difficult place to, to sort of work in. Uh, which I can, certainly, I know you can relate to that kind of thing. But as a result, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not something that uh, has been studied enough. So the, the, the biodiversity that exists in there is something that we can't we can't replace something we can't bring back. Uh, and it's also one of these areas that uh, is most under threat. So from a carbon sink perspective, from a biodiversity perspective, the forest is incredibly important. It's incredible that's there. It's unfortunate that, that it's under threat. And it's super important that, that all of us take it seriously. But to do that, of course, we have to make what's happening out there relevant to everybody in the world. And we're working on that as well. Yeah. And so, so how do you do that? Well, I mean, the reason the Rainforest Connection existed in the first place was for us to be able to monitor these remote places, to pick out threats like chainsaws, logging trucks, gunshots, and then alert local groups like NGOs or local indigenous tribes or local communities so they could show up and stop the logging, which is a whole complicated setup in and of itself. But in doing so, beyond that, we began to stream these live audio feeds out of the forest over the cell phone network and realized that, that the only way to best protect these places is not by just trying to catch people trying to um, cut it down but to make what's happening there relevant to everyone else. And so we are getting better and better relating to what's happening in the world through electronic media. And we have to find a way by which that connects people all over the place to the forest, because there's so much interesting insights we can pull out of it and so much interesting stuff happening there. It's just a reality show 
every minute of every day that we can bring to people to, to make them to care, make them care about it, and frankly, make them be interested and want to explore more about what's happening there. So until we can make the forest relevant to people who are not there, of course, it's going to be under threat. Yeah, for sure. Talk us through how your system actually works. Sure, like, sure. How do you take an old cell phone and repurpose it to, to detect loggers? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's how the system all started, right? We, we take old smartphones uh, in the past, put them up in, in trees with uh, solar panels and powerful microphones uh, so they can last for years. They listen to all the sounds of the forest, and then they stream that audio up into the cloud where we can not only save that continuous audio stream, but we can pick out all sorts of things. Uh, we can pick out chainsaws, logging trucks, gunshots. And then we can use the same cell phone network to send alerts back to people on the ground so they can be incentivized uh, to show up in real time and, and stop what's happening in the forest. There are many, many ways in which that last process becomes complicated. And so our whole organization is, is focused around not just detecting the threats, detecting other things in the forest, but how do we leverage um, human capital on the ground, uh, human collaborators on the ground to, to be able to make a difference when they are up against some pretty intense odds. Let's put a finer point on that, because to me, that sounds like the most difficult technical thing I can imagine, because, you know, electronics are not built for super humid, super wet. Like those types of conditions are grim for electronics. Like, how do you make your devices work for that yeah. long? Well, I mean, there's a few things that we really need, right? Like uh, we need to have some kind of connectivity to the outside world that can be with, you know, cell phone network, which, again, does go into the forest pretty far, but only 10, 15 kilometers which allows you to get pretty far. So you need service, you need light, because we're going to use a lot of power to transmit that audio. Um, it needs to be protected from the moisture, as you said, the heat, which is pretty odd, because the sun, you want sun, but sun can also, in the tropics, be pretty oppressive. Sun can melt plastic, sun can melt a device. So you have to both protect and seek out the sun. And then also you have these, these insects. You have animals that are going to come tear it apart because it's interesting and new, and they want what's in it, and they want what's on it. And the arms race with termites, the arms race with ants and, and birds to, to sort of continually iterate on a device that they find interesting to de deconstruct is, uh, <laughs> it was our challenge. So, so how many of your devices have been eaten by insects or, or taken apart by birds or just generally taken apart by the forest? I mean, uh, probably half of the ones we put out, I would say, uh, in general, that's why, that's why it takes years to sort of get this right. And then on top of that, you have the fact that the forest itself is, is a dynamic environment. So you could put something on a branch, but branches move like trees. We think they're static because the, the trunks are static, but up in the treetops, they move a ton. They sway in the wind, they move. And you find this area that has some sunlight, but give it three months and the tree is going to find a way to plug that hole to suck up as much sunlight as it can. You know, they've evolved to, to capture every ounce of sunlight that they can. And so uh, you have to build a device that's able to to dynamically change or at least be, withstand some of that. It's important for us to get as high in the trees as possible because A, it's hard to find these devices, although it's pretty hard to find anything in the forest anyway. So people coming and discovering these these uh, these guardians is what we call them is pretty um, unlikely. But we go up high to get better cell phone service from, again, kilometers away uh, and better sunlight. And, uh, and of course, you can hear farther from up in the tree as well. Makes a big difference. So we climb to the top of, of treetops to do that. Mm -hmm. And what's the most surprising thing that you've heard through these guardians? We're picking up species that there's only one recording of uh, ever before elsewhere. Squirrels the size of dogs up in the, up the treetops in Indonesia, trying to put together detectors so we can hear animal calls that no one's ever heard before. You could call them new species, but we only find out by detecting them. All this stuff only becomes possible when you put something out there, listening continuously, because that's when the interesting stuff happens is when no one's there. That's when really cool stuff occurs. I'm like, yeah, I've never even thought about using sound for, for conservation. So like, yeah, definitely the least utilized. It's like... Yeah, I mean, to me, that's such a, such a novel idea. 
Topher and his team have adapted their technology around the world, giving him the chance to work with another amazing Rolex laureate in India. You became a Rolex Awards Associate Laureate in 2019. Mm-hmm. What did that mean for your work? That was such an incredible process, I have to say. It's not just about what you can get over the course of a, of a first year or two when you get the award. It's about sort of a lifelong career and how they can continue to leverage that. And that's a really special thing. Um, and it's it's been incredible, especially on our side from, from the work we're doing around biodiversity and, and preserving what this moment in the planet is like. That sort of timeless nature of Rolex makes a big difference in terms of the attachment to the brand. Uh, there's certainly recognition that comes with it that, that makes us feel like we are doing good work. But I feel like there's a standard that we have to carry now around excellence in engineering, um, excellence in, in looking forward and building something that will last, which as we've mentioned in the forest is hard. Uh, so I really appreciate how possibly, you know, one of the, one of the most high-end classy brands out there is really focused on people who are pretty rough around the edges uh, out in the middle of nowhere like us. I appreciate that. that that's interesting to hear that you feel like it, it uh, holds you to a higher standard. Are you uh, working with any other laureates? Yeah. So, uh, so Kritika Ranta, also a, um, a laureate from 2019, she's over the course, thanks to Rolex, become such a close friend of mine. And we have so many great ideas, but one of the really impactful ones uh, that Rolex themselves are funding is an expansion of, uh, of our system, our technology, to be able to detect elephants using infrasound, like sound that's too low for people to hear uh, in India to help uh, use her organization's technology to reduce human wildlife conflict uh, around elephants. So again, we're taking our our system itself, the same one that listens in trees for chainsaws. She's going to put them on farms in India. We adapted our technology to be able to detect elephant infrasound, which is when elephants begin to communicate with each other in such low frequencies that people can't hear them. But this is still sound that we can detect. And uh, and if we can get early warning alerts to Kuti's organization, CWS, if we can reduce human wildlife conflict, it's another big application of acoustic monitoring, which system that we system that we build. There's, there's so much I want to unpack all that. So like, so first off, so you're saying elephants can communicate below the the frequency that we can hear. Yeah. And it's such a journey for us in being able to, uh, to build a detector for that which I can get into, but yeah, they, they're so big and have these, these huge vocal cords that they can communicate with infrasound, which is something below like the very low frequency that we can hear. Think like what a subwoofer sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, except complex elephants can communicate like that. And because it's a low frequency, like that actually travels for long distances, like well over a kilometer through the ground. I'm just so into that. That's, that's such an interesting uh, application of, of your acoustic monitoring. <laughs> so tell me about some of the impacts that your project has had. Well, I mean, we, we operated across, we monitor 38 countries with various forms of our technology. Uh, today we're active in, um, uh, so the, the real-time streaming has, has been active in 18 countries and we're active in well over a dozen right now. And, uh, you know, many, many, hundreds of, of square kilometers uh, that are actively being monitored across the, our various forms of technology and the partners on the ground. So it's hard to, to relate back to an area of forest that we are currently covering, but I can say that uh, the partners themselves are, are making impacts more and more often, the more support we offer them. Tell us about your work in other parts of the world. The really interesting questions we're trying to answer are related to bioacoustics and ecoacoustics. What does our planet sound like right now? And what are all the ways in which that can be leveraged to understand it, to protect it, so when we have these you know, centuries worth of audio coming to our system all the time and being able to analyze every this presence of every species down to the second, and that's not something people can do on their own. That's something that AI, that artificial intelligence can do with the amount of data that we have. And so when you feed a, when you feed a system like ours into an AI algorithm that can that continually improve, it almost uncovers things that humans wouldn't think to ask about. I think it'll bring on a, an area of discovery as important as the eventual microscope. 
I mean, that's just such a rich, like there's just so much going on. It's just, it, it sounds almost impossible to untangle it all. Yeah, in a sense. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's sad that the sound itself won't necessarily preserve the species. But again, we don't want to just be answering the questions that we are asking right now. So when I speak about acoustics or bioacoustics, especially being a field that I feel has always been defined by technical limitations, like how big an audio file is or how to record this or how much can I listen to or how much can I analyze? We have to throw all that out the window as soon as possible and throw everything that we can, the Rainforest Connection, into capturing the highest quality data such that it'll meet the standards of, of the questions people will ask 100 years from now, 200 years from now about this unique and unrepeatable moment in, uh, in our Earth's history. And that's part of our mission as well. How can we preserve this forever? There's still so much to learn about the rainforest, and sound is providing a critical piece of information for scientists and everyday people. What advice do you have for someone who's interested in the type of work that you're doing? Dive into our system online, like, you know, see if you can see if you can discover entirely new animal calls. It's that easy. Um, you can listen to parts of the world that no one's listened to, like moments in history no one's listened to. And from there, it becomes a rabbit hole. You hear a sound, what happened five minutes before, which animals interacted with it. Every indication of an animal, there's a story attached to it. And that's uh, something that we hope to unveil with our, with our tools. But even if you have your own ideas, you, get, you need to build them, find somebody, offer them to people. For us, what really helped force this thing from an idea into putting it in the forest, which again, was a long and difficult road, was the fact that somebody was waiting for it. They were asking about it. They needed it. We'd offered it to them. And then we were on the hook. Mm -hmm. So um, build things for people that you could look up to because you'll always get it done for them and you'll always want to make it better. There's so much power, at least in my experience, with, with serving somebody, building something for somebody. What are your hopes for the future? I envision a future where People are connected to nature the same way we're connected to each other now, where not everyone has to experience it like on location to uh, to get them as much as they can out of it, because that's not feasible and it's not possible or even fair for everyone to, to feel like they have to do that. And there we can really increase the connection of, of what everyone has through these these technological medium. And, uh, and I hope that that becomes more of a part of people, people's lives, because there's just such crazy stuff happening. And there's something about sound that that forces you to pay a little more attention. You know, and uh, that's what I want to bring to people. Pick out the things that really turn them on and uh, get them to everybody around the world as quickly as possible. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. It's like, uh, I mean, because certainly human consciousness around the, the plight of other humans has really broadened over the last century, let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it, it would follow that, that our consciousness around, you know, the natural exploitation would, would also broaden. I mean, we, we can only hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of room for, for hope right now. And that hope is not going to come through everyone's version of unmitigated success. The solutions to climate change are going to be as messy and untrackable as you can possibly imagine. We're talking hundreds of solutions put in place by people who you never hear about uh, off in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so there's no room for competition if it means suppressing solutions to climate change or suppressing certain, certain um, gathering of what's happening on, on earth right now. We have to kind of boldly assume that uh, any solution is worth trying and that, uh, and that all solutions are worthy of, of attention and support. That was the inspiring technologist Topher White. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. To learn more about Topher's work and how you can help make the planet perpetual, check out rfcx.org. Be sure to catch the next episode when I'm joined by Miranda Wang, an entrepreneur who's turning our trash into shoes.
You can learn about the next generation of Rolex Awards for Enterprise Laureates at rolex.org. And for more information about what you can do to affect change in your own community, follow the hashtag perpetualplanet. Thanks for listening.